So Hebrews 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Amen. Well, how do you press on with Jesus when you face persecution? Uh, That could be serious persecution. I know some of you have left your home countries because you followed Jesus and you were threatened with prison and torture if you were to stay. Uh, But it could be uh, not quite as serious as that, but still quite serious. You might be threatened with losing your job or having issues at work, Uh, not getting work at all because of your biblical views. You could be uh, overlooked for promotion or just not fitting with the culture. Uh, You might be discriminated against because of your faithfulness to Jesus. You know, there are serious issues even here. Uh, But for many of us, I think it's likely to be even less serious than all of that, isn't it? It's more likely to be things like being laughed at when you go to school, being excluded from your friendships because your views are a little bit different. Uh, It might just be that feeling of constantly being different and a little bit odd compared to everybody else that is just so very tiring to deal with all of the time. And when it's happening, it's so tempting, isn't it, to just think if we reject Jesus, it'll all go away. If I stop following him, I can just fit in. And the reality is, in many cases, that is true. If we reject Jesus, that suffering, that persecution might well stop. You know, but even when we're not suffering, you know, we can be tempted to jack in following Jesus, can't we? Just because following Jesus can be hard. And when we're tempted to do that, whether it's because we are suffering, whether it's because we're facing persecution, whether it's just because what Jesus is asking us to do is difficult, how do we press on with him? Well, I think this is what our passage this morning wants to help us to do. Uh, And so just a bit of context back in chapter 10, uh, the writer pointed out to us that the sacrificial system under the old covenant did not resolve the issue of sin for God's people. He says it existed to remind the Israelites that they were sinners and they needed a solution to their sin problem. Uh, He then pointed out that Jesus was the one who came to deal with their sin once and for all. Uh, And the sacrificial system was a reminder that they were sinners and Jesus is the solution. Uh, And so, he says, pursue godliness and do not keep sinning. Don't reject Jesus for sacrifices that won't work, but persevere in the faith in order to be saved in Christ. 
And then uh, in chapter 11, we get this roll call of faith that we've looked at over the last two weeks. A bunch of people who in many different ways, at many different times, who trusted God's word and by faith they were approved by God. That is an example of real faith in action. All of those examples of faith, we were told, anticipated something better to come. And that sets us up, I think, for these verses here in chapter 12. It talks about the better thing uh, that is ours. Uh, and if you want to know where we're going, uh, we've, I think this passage has three things to say to us this morning. Firstly, we keep pressing on by fleeing sin. Secondly, we keep pressing on by looking to Jesus. And thirdly, we keep pressing on by remembering that Jesus understands. So three ways we can keep pressing on with Christ. Firstly then, keep pressing on by fleeing sin. So verse one begins with therefore. And so we can see this thought is connected to what's just been said in chapter 11. And if you look, the writer says, we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us. So all the examples in chapter 11 of people approved by God show us what God honouring faith looks like in practice. And there are so many of them, the writer says, we can look to Old Testament believers and see that we will be approved by God if we have similar faith that works itself out in action. And so verse 1 says, since we have all these godly examples in front of us, Let's do what they did and throw off every hindrance and sin that might stop us pressing on with Jesus. And the picture in verse one is of a runner in a race. Now, as you know, a good runner doesn't want to be weighed down by anything that's going to slow him up and stop him from reaching the finish line. And so in the London Marathon, if you've ever watched that on TV, uh, you can see how all the runners line up, can't you? Uh, so you get your elite runners at the front, and they're all in their lightweight athletic clothes and running shoes. And then behind them, you get the club runners, who are pretty good, but not amazing. Then you get the amateur runners, who are certainly better than I am. Uh, and then you get all the people who aren't regular runners at all uh, behind them. And right at the very back... You get a load of people dressed up in dinosaur costumes, pushing people in bathtubs, doing it for charity. Now, you can't help looking at all those guys right at the very back and think, you're a big fat dude dressed up like a comedy chicken, pushing a guy in a wheelbarrow. I'm wondering not only whether you'll finish, but whether you'll even reach the start line because you're so far back. You know, you're going to struggle over 26 miles in that, aren't you? But that is pretty much the image we are given here by the writer. If you're going to finish the race of your Christian life, you want to be throwing off anything that is weighing you down and hindering you in your race. And nothing, he says, is going to hinder you more than your sin. Nothing will hinder you more than your sin. Sin is like running in a big emu costume, pushing ten blokes on a hospital bed in the marathon. It's going to impede you. It's going to make you look stupid. And it's going to maybe stop you from finishing altogether. 
If you are going to endure your race for Christ, if you're going to receive the prize of eternal life, the writer says you need to flee sin. Throw off anything that might hinder you in your race. Get rid of the sin that is going to cause you to stumble and to fall, possibly before you even get to the proper start line. And I think that is the call on us here this morning. If you want to reach the finishing line of heaven, then throw off anything that is going to hinder your walk with the Lord Jesus. Get rid of sinful stuff that is going to trap you and cause you to fall and maybe not finish your race at all. And I think it's important to notice two things here. First, we are to flee sin. Don't get tangled up in things that Jesus actively tells us to avoid. It is not okay for us to flirt with sin because that is clearly going to stop us running our race with the Lord Jesus. We need to be careful about that. It's not okay to say the Lord understands that I struggle because I'm not married. I struggle with abstinence. So looking at porn once in a while, that is okay for me. It's not okay. That's not all right. It's not okay. That is a sin that will ensnare you and potentially stop you from finishing your race. It's not okay to say the Lord Jesus wants me to go out and share the gospel with people. But I just don't have the time. I don't really feel gifted. I don't really feel able. Let's not beat around the bush. That is sin. That is to not do what Jesus tells you you should do. It is sinful. That is choosing not to do what Jesus says we should do. Now it's not okay to do the things that Jesus says not to do. And it's not okay to not do the things he says we must do. We can't assume that if we keep on ignoring what Jesus says, if we carry on not doing what he says we should or doing what he says we shouldn't, that we're still going to finish our race and get to glory in the end. Because sin will have ensnared us. We're saying every time we sin, we'd rather have that than Jesus, whatever it may be. Now, if we know that there are sins in our lives, things that we're doing that we know Jesus doesn't want us to do, or there are things that we're not doing that we know Jesus does want us to do, and we're not bothered about putting them to death, We're not bothered about trying to flee that sin. Well, that is sin that is going to ensnare you. That is sin that will potentially stop you from finishing your race with Christ. The Puritan writer John Owen famously said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. This is what he means. Don't continue in your sin. Throw off your sin and finish your race with Christ. But the other thing to notice here is it's not only sin that is in view here. It says lay aside anything that might hinder you. Now there are things, aren't there, that maybe aren't sinful of themselves, but that get in the way of our pressing on with the Lord Jesus. I think the simplest example I've got 
is if you just think of your leisure time, how you, how you spend your free time, whether it's playing sport or watching TV or going to the cinema or days out or going on holiday, whatever it is you like to do in your free time. Now, absolutely none of those things are sinful. They're all fine things for you to do if you want to go and do them. They're all legitimate, good, even fun things to do. But you know, don't you, that a runner in a race is not going to finish well if he stops halfway round to watch a film, is he? You know, he's entitled to do that if he wants. You know I mean, stop off at the cinema if he fancies it halfway round. But it's not going to help him get to the finish line, is it? Certainly not going to help him win. Now, for you, uh, some of those sorts of things might be getting in the way of your race. They might be getting in the way of your walk with Christ. They're all fine. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. And I'm not saying, therefore, we should all stop doing them. That's not what I'm saying. They're all fine things. But you, personally, might struggle to find the time to pray. Or you might struggle to find the time to meet with God's people. Because you spend far too much time doing some of these other things. You know, you might not give to the work of ministry because you've decided you really need to save money for your holiday. Or you really need a level of savings to a certain amount. And if it dips below that, well, I need to kind of take away my giving in order to make sure I'm, I'm sorted. But what you're doing there is prioritising those other things. You might be someone who, when you watch TV or film or whatever, are really shaped and affected by what you see on the screen. And it impacts your Christian race. Now, absolutely none of those things I've mentioned there are sinful things to do. None of them are sinful or wrong. And I'm not saying we all need to stop doing them immediately. That's just to be really clear. I'm not saying if you do any of those, there's a problem. But if they are hindering you in your race to glory, then maybe you need to think about laying them aside for yourself. And as I say, we need to be careful here because what's a hindrance to me might not be a hindrance to you. Which means you might not throw off things that I need to get rid of because they hinder me. They don't hinder you. And that's okay. You know, we're not all the same. But the point here is that anything that gets in the way of our walk with the Lord Jesus, anything that gets in the way of our relationship with Jesus, anything that might stop us from enduring to the end for Christ, we should be quick to throw it off because we have a higher priority. You know, the fact is, you don't have to have a TV, do you? You don't have to have a holiday. You don't have to have a savings pot. You don't have to have an internet connection. There's loads of things you don't have to have. We convince ourselves a lot of the time we need these things, but we don't need them. You know, and our culture, our family, our innate sense of security might tell us we need these things. But it is possible to live your life without any of them. And though it might make life in the modern world harder in some ways, if they're hindering your walk with the Lord Jesus, is it not better to get rid of them? It's not better not to have these things? Rather than not finish your race with Christ. 
however needful we think they are, if they're hindering us pressing on with Jesus, if they're drawing us away from the Lord Jesus, it's better to get rid of them now than to hold on to them and not finish our race. I mean, Jesus took this seriously, didn't he? He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter heaven with one hand than to not see the kingdom of God. That's how seriously Jesus took this. And that, he's talking about this. It's obviously not sinful to have a hand, is it? <laughs> but what, what he's really saying is that if your sin is hindering you, or even if it's not sin, if it's good stuff, but you're prioritising it wrongly, get rid of it. Throw off sin. Lay aside every hindrance that gets in the way of pressing on with the Lord Jesus. Well, is Jesus that higher priority to you? Do you love Jesus enough that you would get rid of all those things in order to finish well with him? Well, secondly, not only do we keep pressing on by fleeing sin, we keep pressing on by looking to Jesus. So if we're to finish this race, we fix our eyes on Christ. So verse 1 talked about the great cloud of witnesses. And we can see all those examples of faith in action. And we can encourage ourselves to press on with Jesus. Uh, But in the same way, verse 2 says we look not primarily to the Old Testament examples, but primarily to Christ. The emphasis here is on Jesus' example to us. There are loads of witnesses in the Old Testament, but the writer says Jesus is the ultimate witness of faith in action that leads to victory and triumph. Verse 2 says, Jesus endured the cross and all its shame for the joy that was set before him. So Jesus is the ultimate example to us because he endured by setting his eyes on the joy and the glory that would be his through the cross. And so Jesus is presented as our ultimate example here. The example he sets is enduring the cross by fixing his eyes on the greater glory that would be his if he obeyed the Father. And Jesus set his eyes on the prize of glory. So that's what he was looking to. And then verse 2 tells us to set our eyes on Jesus. So we are to endure suffering and difficulty now, just like Jesus did, by setting our eyes on the greater prize That is the prize of eternal life with Jesus himself. I want you to imagine for a moment you're on a really strict diet. Uh, Now what is going to keep you sticking with rice cakes, which are disgusting and not at all filling, instead of stuffing your face with chips and chocolate and cream cakes, which are both filling and delicious? What's going to keep you doing that? (laughs) partly (laughs) because what what you could do right you could go to a group couldn't you see other people who have stuck to your weight loss plan who have all lost weight you can do that Uh, you know a bit like a great cloud of fat witnesses or something Um, now that might encourage you a little bit to press on with your diet might encourage you that the diet at least works if you're doing it. But on its own, that's probably not going to do it, is it? 
really, because we just need to be honest, diets are rubbish. Um, they are. I don't care how much they claim you can eat food that's just as good, you can't. <laughs> the food is worse and you get less of it. That is what a diet is. Um, you just have to accept that you're going to be both hungry and constantly disappointed. That is just the reality. And, and knowing that, right, we should know that going into it, what is going to make you stick with it? Why press on with that? Because they're not great. Well, ultimately, your goal of losing weight has to be more valuable to you in the end, doesn't it, than the momentary pleasure of eating chips and sweets and whatever else it is that you want. You know, unless losing weight, unless that goal is more valuable to you than eating whatever you want, you're just not going to lose weight, are you? That's, that's the reality. And to keep going, to keep pressing on in that thing, you've got to keep your eyes on the ultimate prize. Yes, the diet is rubbish, but the goal of losing weight is better. That's why we're doing it. Keep your eyes on what you're actually aiming to do. And it's exactly the same as our faith in the Lord Jesus. We can be encouraged by the Old Testament examples. We can even be encouraged by Jesus' example. He endured suffering for a reward so that we can endure suffering for a reward. We can be encouraged by Jesus' ultimate example of enduring suffering for greater glory. He didn't suffer for its own sake. He suffered for the joy that was set before him. There was purpose in what he was doing. More than that, Jesus set his eyes on the prize of his own glory. The glory with which the Father would glorify him because of his obedience. He could endure suffering because of that greater joy that lay before him. Because it was more valuable to him to have that than to say, I'd rather not go to the cross. That's why he endured. Well, in exactly the same way, we set our eyes on the Lord Jesus this morning. We will press on when the glory of heaven, when the joy of being with the Lord Jesus for all eternity is more valuable to us than any suffering we might experience today or any sin that might seem attractive to me tomorrow. That's how you'll press on with the Lord Jesus. We endure the race by looking to Jesus. He is the prize that we should be looking to. It's only when he is more valuable to us than our sin. When he is more valuable to us than avoiding suffering. Only then are we going to press on. You know, if temporary relief, if not being laughed at, if getting that promotion, if fitting in, if not facing suffering and persecution is more valuable to me, well, I'll just jack it in, won't I? I can end that tomorrow. Not a Christian anymore, no problem. But if Jesus is ultimately valuable to us, if there is nothing greater in the universe to us than having the Lord Jesus, then we will endure the race to the end, even in the face of suffering and persecution and hardships and whatever else. Now, I actually think it's very telling, isn't it, when we fall into sin. Whenever we sin, what we're really saying is Jesus isn't all that valuable and beautiful to me. At least in that moment, Jesus is not all that valuable. 
There is something I would rather have than Christ. That's what we're saying when we sin. I'd rather do this than walk faithfully. And I think that's quite challenging, isn't it, when we think of it in those terms. If we're regularly indulging our sin, despite what we come to church and sing on a Sunday morning, we're saying Jesus just isn't that valuable or beautiful to us. And I think that is a challenge to us this morning. Is Jesus ultimately valuable to you? Do you love Jesus when everything is working out and going well, and also when everything is hard and difficult? Do you love Jesus and pressing on with him and being faithful to him more than you love your sin? Are your eyes fixed on Christ? Because he should be the prize that you're after. He is the goal. The only hope we have of enduring to the end is if Jesus is the most valuable and precious thing in our life. If he is the most valuable and precious thing to us. But is Jesus that valuable to you? Is he that precious to you? Thirdly, finally, we keep pressing on by remembering that Jesus understands. Because the idea of Jesus as an example to follow is expanded on in verse 3. It says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. So Jesus understands exactly what it's like to be persecuted. Jesus knows what it is like to suffer. In verse 2, the writer reminded us Jesus was nailed to a cross. Now, he wasn't nailed to a cross by people who thought he was wonderful, was he? He had, throughout his ministry, people who actively wanted to kill him. And that's serious. And perhaps worse, not only did he have people who wanted to kill him, Jesus knew all along it was coming. He knew he was going to be betrayed by Judas. He knew he'd come to earth in order to die. He knew that people were going to spend his entire ministry trying to kill him. But he endured all of that for the sake of the joy that was set before him, for the sake of the glory that would be his with the Father. You know, the Hebrew believers uh, that are being written to here are in danger of giving up on Jesus. They're being persecuted. They're being attacked for their faith and they're being encouraged to go back to Judaism because if they do that, it will just all stop. Just go back to Judaism and everyone will leave you alone. The writer is saying Jesus understands. Jesus knows that temptation. Jesus endured suffering at the hands of men too. He suffered persecution. He's not asking these believers to press on as though he's never done that himself. He's not telling these believers to do anything that he hasn't done already. He went first and he now acts as their example. And he now acts as our example. And the writer points to Jesus and his endurance through suffering in order that these believers will not give up. Remember what Jesus endured for you. Remember where Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. 
and press on towards that greater prize of glory with him. Endure this for the sake of the glory to come. What he's saying is Jesus suffered unjustly for you. He endured great persecution for you. And now he asks you to endure persecution and suffering for his sake so that you might inherit the prize of glory and eternal life with him. And we're encouraged to see that glory and that eternal life as more valuable than the suffering we might face now. And he says Jesus understands because Jesus did the same. Uh, I, I think it can be very easy for us to want to give up on Jesus. It's very easy for us to believe in our heads that he just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand how difficult it is for us. But Jesus understands only too well, doesn't he? He knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it is to be persecuted for obedience. He knows what it is to press on and endure suffering because even though it's not here yet, there's a greater glory to be gained. He knows all of that because he's done it. And when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can remember he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. He's not asking us to endure anything that he didn't have to endure. In fact, he's asking us to endure something less than he had to endure for his sake. He's not asking us to do anything he was unwilling to do. And when we think of what Jesus endured for us, we can ask ourselves whether we are willing to endure for him. If he has served us that way, can't we serve him in that same way? Now, Jesus knows entirely what he's asking you to do when he asks. He went to the cross to save you. And by fixing our eyes on him and by looking at what he endured for us, we can press on and endure for him because he will be seen as ultimately valuable. Why would I press on through this if I didn't love the Lord Jesus? If we have a very low view of the cross, if we have a very low view of what Jesus accomplished there, that is not going to spur you on to endure for him, is it? If we don't think the cross was very much, a bit like your mate who lends you a tenner when you're in need, it's not a big deal, that, is it? And if that's your view of the cross, that's not going to encourage you to press on because you don't really think Jesus gave up all that much. You don't really think Jesus endured all that much for you. But if we really understand what Jesus suffered at the cross, what he gave up in his glory in heaven and taking on human flesh and dying for our sin that wasn't his own. If we really understand that, then whatever we might suffer for the Lord Jesus will pale into comparison. Whatever we might suffer will be so much less than what he suffered for us. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus, not just the example he set, but realising what Jesus did in order to save you. Do you understand the depths and the seriousness of his suffering on the cross for you? If you do, well, how can you not press on for him? Look at what he did for you. How can you not press on in him? How can you turn your back on someone who would suffer all of that for your sake? And so we're encouraged here to keep looking to Jesus. Keep 
pressing on. Keep enduring even in the face of suffering and persecution. Keep your eyes on the prize of heaven and being with Jesus. We will keep ourselves pressing on by fleeing sin, looking to Jesus and remembering that he understands everything he asks you to do because he has done all the more besides for you.